0: Good morning. Our passage this morning is from Colossians 2, verses 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world... This is
1: the word of the Lord. Uh, Friends, thank you for praying for us. I know I've snuck in little updates to different ones of you about my summer sabbatical I just got back from with my family, but I I wanted to, in a particular way, thank you for praying for me, for my family. Many of you said, hey, we're we're praying for you, the kindest thing you could do for me. And the Lord answered your prayers. Uh, We made some sweet memories as a family. I was able to spend unhurried time in God's word. Uh, I'm working through several books for the good of my own soul that had nothing to do with the church life issue, um, and Elise and I got away for 10 days in Western Canada marveling at God's glory and creation. If, if you want an in-your-face reminder of how small we are and how great God is, I highly recommend you just pick up, walk out right now, and go to the Rockies. Uh, it was wonderful, and the Lord was kind to help me come back a, a little bit less anxious, about the work the Lord has called me to do here. Um, We're certain that he who began a good work in our church will bring it to completion because he's a faithful God. And uh, with a renewed conviction to pursue a lifestyle of sustainable sacrifice as a pastor, I really would like to be doing this 30 more years from now. And the Lord, in different ways, kept bringing me back to Paul's example in 1 Timothy 4.10. He writes, For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. I love that verse because it it captures the kind of man that I want to be as a pastor, a man who works hard for Jesus' sake, but not because I'm confident in my work, but because I'm confident in the Lord. Big difference. Uh, We loved visiting several other churches uh, during our 11 weeks, but sorely missed being with you, especially when the service ended. There's the benediction and you look out and you just see a room full of strangers. And I was reminded week after week that the church, the local church, is not just a meeting or a sermon or a song set or whatever's going on up here, right? That's, that's critical. That's helpful. But the church is a family, It's a family. And and Elise and I thank God for making us part of your family. I also thank God for the way uh, Josh and Chris and Quinn and other men faithfully taught through uh, the whole first half, really, of the book of Colossians. Yes, very appropriate. Receive that, pal, from the Lord. I had a sneaking suspicion my sabbatical would be not just good for me, my soul, but also good for you, the church. And I do not think we were disappointed on that front in the least. Um, it's, it's a privilege to be used by God as your pastor to care for you, lead you, serve you. But, but listen, Kingsway, I'm not, in case you didn't know this, I'm not the ultimate builder or architect of this church. Jesus Christ is. And I hope the fact that when I was gone, the word of God was preached, the people of God continued to grow and love and care for one another. You were well served and cared for is just one more little proof that Jesus knows what he's doing, that he's the builder and the architect. I I loved hearing how he continued to strengthen your souls through his word while I was gone. May, May we always be a congregation that holds fast to the hope of the gospel, to to Christ and him crucified, not only in what we say we believe, but at at the level of our affections, our desires, our our hopes and confidence. That that really is the heart of the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That, that's what we want to be true of, of this body, isn't it? And let me tell you something, that kind of attitude, an, an attitude of unwavering dependence on Christ, for all we need today, tomorrow, the rest of our life does not happen automatically, friend. Or, or just because you consider yourself or, or identify as a Christian, that's a supernatural gift. Awakened by the Spirit. Get nourished by God's Word. And we have to be careful to guard that gift, faith in Christ, from pretenders. From, from false saviors who clamor to replace Jesus' rightful place on the throne of your heart. It was going down in Colossae, it's still going down today. And, and let me warn you, most false teaching, most spiritual lies, do not present to us in the form of an Amazon bestseller with a smiling guy on the front holding wads of cash. <laughs> Or some cult leader who makes the news because the FBI arrested him, okay? Most false teaching comes in far subtler forms. Case study. The last beer commercial you watched. Why are they parading clips of people laughing and having a good time together? Do You ever think about that? Why are they doing that? Because... The company wants you to what? To believe that if you buy their drink, you'll be happy. Or at least happier than you were. You know, a, a little a little bit of what is wrong in you around you will your world just become a little bit more right. Whenever you watch TV, whenever we turn on the radio, whenever you you scroll through your social media, I don't care how tired or alert you are, we are bombarded with spiritual lies about where to look for life and fulfillment, right? And, and while the Colossians didn't have to deal with all the mass media that we do, friend, they were no less tempted to, to look to all sorts of things besides Jesus, other than Jesus, for confidence it was well with their soul we're just like them which is why Colossians 2:8 Paul's warning there applies to us too see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits or principles of the world and not according to Christ that's the test for you science people that's the litmus test for for every form of false teaching, it's not complicated. It is what this person is saying. Is the spiritual wisdom they're they're urging you to embrace? Is it making much of Jesus, or is it making much of something else? That's the test. And sadly, this really is sad. Much of what we hear from professively Christian sermons, professively. Christian books, or even Christian counseling offices, does not hold fast to Christ. It it may give lip service to him, but it doesn't always make much of him or build us into him. Now, that doesn't mean we stop listening, reading, or getting counsel. Okay, I'm not saying that, but it does mean we have to pay very careful attention to Paul's warning against false teaching in verses 16 through 23 of Colossians 2. Here's the main point of the whole passage. Okay? Refuse to accept any form of spiritual wisdom that does not hold fast to Christ. I told you it wasn't complicated. What's the point? Refuse to accept. I won't embrace it. I won't receive it. I won't accept it. Any form of spiritual wisdom that doesn't hold fast to Christ. Why? Because true life is only found in him. That's Paul's burden in this passage. So how does false teaching lead us away from Christ? Let's think about that question together. Paul gives a series of examples here. From the Colossians situation, equipping us to to recognize spiritual lies before we embrace them, okay? So here's the first. What what does false teaching do? First, example one, false teaching destroys the foundation of Christian freedom. The foundation of Christian freedom, verses 16 and 17. Paul, Paul has just finished in verses 9 through 15, setting forth the utter sufficiency of Christ's person and work. Sufficient for what? Sufficient to deal with the sin that separates us from God and make us right with him. How does God do that? He dies so you don't have to die. He dies so the guilt of your sin can be atoned for. So he can justly forgive your trespasses. So he can, as Paul says, cancel the record of debt, verse 14, that stood against you with its legal demands. What's that mean? Or for all who turn from sin and trust and follow Jesus, the, the cross stands as a decisive word of divine judgment. It issues a judgment. What's the judgment, Christian? You are white white. As snow. It's a judgment, not because of anything good you've done for God, but because of what God in Christ has done for you. And that decisive word of divine judgment, as it were, divine vindication through the gospel, has to do something. It should inform and shape our response to words of human judgment. Look at verse 16. Therefore, Paul declares, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. What's up? Well, it seems that the false teachers in Colossae were taking parts of the law God gave his people under the old covenant in the Old Testament and, and requiring followers of Jesus under the new covenant to keep the same rules. And and maybe they're right, the Colossians wondered. Maybe it it does matter whether I eat or drink certain foods or or observe the the Jewish feast or offer the appropriate sacrifices or, or cease from my work on the seventh day. Maybe they're right. I mean, God required it at one point, so why not now? Well, the word let... And verse 16 reminds us that you have a choice to make, friend. Important choice. Whenever a professing Christian implies or asserts that you're not doing something God requires. You have a choice to make. So how will you know, this is the choice, whether to receive and embrace their words, their judgments, as the truth? Or lie. Well, listen carefully. We we so tend to get this wrong. Okay, the test, listen, is not whether you like what they're saying. I'll say that again. The test is not whether we like what we're hearing, or whether that person's words make you feel safe, or affirmed, and accepted for who you are. That's not the test. The test is whether their judgment aligns with God's judgment. Do their words uh, reflect the truth of, of God's words? We, we are called to judge one another in the church. 1 Corinthians 5.12. But our judgments have to be shaped by what God has done in Christ and what God has said about what God has done in Christ. So when it comes to food laws and Sabbath days, what has God said and done? Glad you (laughs) asked. Well, the the book of Hebrews tells us that they pointed forward to Christ. They, They anticipated the day, prepared the way for what God would accomplish through Jesus. Food laws and Sabbath days were not the end game or goal. They were dim reflection, shadows, as Paul says in, in verse 17, of an infinitely greater substance and glory, the, the glory of Christ. The gospel of our salvation. Jesus did what? Matthew 5, 17. He fulfilled the law on our behalf so that we're no longer under the Mosaic law in a covenantal sense. We're under the law of Christ. And what did he do? Well, he declared all foods clean, Mark 7:19, and he is our Sabbath rest, Hebrews 4:3. So, let's get practical. Should a Christian work on Sundays? Well, scripture doesn't give us a black and white rule to follow, does it? In case you're wondering, it gives us principles to apply. Like Hebrews 10:25, don't neglect to meet together. It gives us examples to follow. Acts 2, the early church faithfully gathering on the first day of the week. But having applied those principles, wrestled with those examples, ultimately it's what? A matter of Christian freedom. Guided by God's word, God's spirit, God the counsel, what one believer may conclude, a particular practice of work on Sunday is wise. Another believer may conclude a different practice of work on Sunday is wise. Please notice I'm not saying... Jesus did it all, so it doesn't matter what we do, okay? I am saying we have to be very careful to treat matters of conscience as such instead of weaponizing them to functionally question someone else's salvation or judge their godliness. So if a friend says to you, I mean, we all know real Christians vote Republicans. you shouldn't smile and nod. Or if a fellow parent says, clean eating is the best way to honor the Lord with our bodies. Mom, you shouldn't be ashamed of the hot dogs you gave your kids last night. (laughs) Okay? You, You should firmly reject those judgments as a spiritual lie. A false gospel. Because there there are two rules God has established in matters of Christian freedom, okay? This is another sermon, but here's the short table of contents. Go read Romans 14 this week. Here are the two rules, okay? In matters of Christian freedom, the first is the test of faith. Am I fully convinced that what I am doing is pleasing to the Lord? That's big. The second is the test of love. Is what I'm doing building up the Christians around me? False teachers in Colossae weren't... Raising any of those issues, they were they were turning areas of Christian freedom into requirements for salvation and issuing judgments accordingly. They they failed to carefully work through how does the person and work of Christ impact our application of the Old Testament law. Side note, that's one reason I'm really excited after Colossians to jump into the book of Deuteronomy with you later this fall. False teaching often quotes verses from the Bible. But it wrenches them out of context. The context of the whole. Because the context of the whole, the, the emphasis of the whole, the big story in scripture is what? Who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It, it's not, the false teachers in Colossae didn't emphasize that. They made a big deal about whether people were making this supposedly right choices in disputable matters. And the net result was a spiritual hierarchy, you know? Real Christians, subpar Christians, <laughs> that, that, that did what effectively? It undermined the sufficiency of Christ's saving work. And it destroyed the foundation of Christian freedom. That's the first example Red flag. You're looking for false teaching. It's what I'm hearing undermining the biblical ground of Christian freedom. Here, here's the second way false teaching can lead us away from Christ. Point number two. False teaching abandons the source of true spiritual growth. It abandons it. Verses 18 through 19. If, think of it this way. If the problem in 16 and 17 is misapplying scripture in, in ways that, that minimize the gospel, The problem in 18 and 19 is adding to scripture in ways that completely replace the gospel. It's an example of man-made religion at its finest. Look at verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, Paul says, insisting on asceticism. What's asceticism? I won't ask you to spell it. In short, asceticism is attempting to earn God's favor through suffering, by denying yourself material provisions or blessings. So let's think about that. Are there times it's wise to to fast from lawful pleasures like food or drink or television or sex because you, you realize you've become enslaved to them? Such that they're no longer helpful, lawful, but not helpful. Absolutely, that can be wise. But, but does constant hardcore dieting, for example, render anyone more acceptable in God's sight? No, not in the least. 1 Timothy 4:4, 4, 4. for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, right? I think we can fall in the same trap if we think the earlier you get up in the morning, the more godly you are. Ever heard that? I rise at 4.45 to pray. Nope. <laughs> or, or the more hours you work, the more, the more faithful you are. That's asceticism. Worship of angels, moving on, is, is something scripture outright forbids as idolatry. It's an example, a classic example of of syncretism, of of trying to integrate pagan practices into Christianity. How how about this third one, going on in detail about visions? Let's think about that. Does God speak to people in the Bible through dreams? Yeah, he does. So so what's the problem with visions, Paul? Well, the false teachers were, were doing something we can do. And plenty of people around us do, they, they were they were giving undue weight to subjective religious spiritual experiences or impressions, such that they became a functional alternative to the authority of God's written word. That's what was happening. We, we can do just the same thing when when we get more excited about the latest thing we sensed God saying to us. on a spiritual mountaintop of some kind than we do about the promises he's already made us in his inerrant word. What's wrong with the entire list? All those things. They're all expressions of human pride, really. Or the mind of the flesh, Paul says. In our pride, we want to be our own spiritual authority, right? Hence the visions, In our pride, we want to fix our own problems, hence the asceticism. And and, and where does it all lead? Look at the beginning of verse 19. A failure to hold fast to the head. Well, who's the head? That sounds kind of awkward, Paul. (laughs) Got a little head in your backpack somewhere? No, Colossians 2 verse 8. The head is Christ, Jesus. Paul teaches us that what Our head, our physical head is to our physical body. Christ is to the church, to this body, this spiritual body. He's the one who nourishes our church and, and knits us together such that, look back at verse 19, what happens? We grow with a growth that is from God. Remember the main point. We don't want to abandon the source of true spiritual growth. So friend, if you want to experience the joy of a growing relationship with God, You see it around you. You wonder, how can I have what these people around me have? I've been around long enough to know that's real and I don't know what it is but I don't think they're faking it. They're not. What's the answer? It's not a a new restraint technique for your anger or your lust or your greed. You You don't need to integrate a little Eastern mysticism into your Christianity or, or run from church to church or conference to conference looking for some ecstatic spiritual experience, what do you need to do? You need to hold fast to Christ, friend. You have to hold fast to Christ. He's, he's the only source of true spiritual life. So what does that mean? That can just sound so religious. What's it mean, Williams? Well, I'll tell you, okay, holding fast to Christ means depending wholly and completely on Jesus to make you right with God, to secure the favor of God, and to transform you into the image of God. Not just at one point in your life, like it's some sort of toll booth we go through and then off to the Christian moralism races. No, trusting Jesus isn't just the first step of faith. It's, It's the realm in which the entire Christian life goes down. Holding fast to Christ means, means looking to him alone for spiritual nourishment, strength, provision, help. How? Through the ordinary means of grace that he's established for us. Things like meditation on the word, prayer, sharing the Lord's Supper, conversation with other Christians. It, it's the only way you'll, you'll really grow in spiritual maturity. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Let's, let's say, hypothetically, you keep losing your temper with your kids or your friends. What, what do you need? Think about that. What do you need? Would, would an anger management class help you practice a little bit more self-control? Perhaps for real, perhaps. But listen, friend, if you do that, you're just caging the monster, right? The monster's still inside of you. You're just reinforcing the steel. What What do you really need <laughs> Where will true growth come from? From from coming to know Jesus as the sovereign Lord who reigns over every circumstance in your life and is working all of them together right now, tomorrow and the day after that for his glory and your good. From learning to trust him and rest in his care for you. Real change never starts at the outward level of our behavior. It starts in the heart the whole message of the Bible. It, it's the heart of Christianity. It's not an, another religious behavioral modification technique to make you look like the Joneses. It's about what's really and truly wrong deep within us. It's called sin. And what God has done in Christ to deal with that sin. And when we hold fast to Christ personally through ordinary means of grace... Let me tell you what happens, friend. It's just not you who grow, okay? It's the entire church family in which God has placed you. That the life we we derive from Christ does something. It doesn't stop with you. It, it spreads throughout the body through the gift of community. As the example of your life, the words of encouragement you share with others help them grow too. That's what Paul's talking about when he speaks, verse 19. Christ from whom the whole body, nourished, knit together, grows. It's all plural and corporate. And by the way, that means the reverse is also true. Think about that. If if you're not holding fast to Christ, personally, individually, you are at best hindering the growth of our entire church. And at worst, actively harming your family. Illustration. What will gangrene untreated in your foot eventually do to your arm? It'll kill it, right? Same is true in the church. Spiritual body. The choices you make tonight, Christian, will have spiritual repercussions in our community whether for good or ill, may, may they be for our collective upbuilding. Hold, hold fast to Christ, member of King's Way, that, that our entire body may grow through you and, and with you. The, the false teachers in Colossae were, were promising forms of spiritual health and growth that had nothing to do with Christ. That that was the problem. They they were abandoning the true source of spiritual growth. And and that means we need to test whatever we read in a Christian book, experience in a Christian counseling office, hear on a Christian podcast in the same way, same test. I think so often we can assume that whatever someone is saying is good and right. Simply because the speaker claims to be a Christian Or what they're saying makes us feel better. You know what I mean? Um, Less anxious. Less worried. More confident. More peaceful. Well, those can all be good things, but be careful. Be, Be ever so careful, my friend. I'll say it this way. Immediate relief from difficult emotions is not the test of biblical truth. Go read the book of Job. What's the test? Is what this person is saying, writing, or recommending, urging you and equipping you to hold fast to Christ? That's the test. Is is it helping you look to him and and love him and trust him and obey him and, and stand in awe of him in whom are hidden, Colossians 2, 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The test of truth is not, does it make me feel better? The test of truth is, is it centered on the one who is the way, the truth, and the life? And here's the good news. When you hold fast to him, guess what happens to our feelings over time in the providence of God? they are conformed more and more, even in our suffering, to the image of Christ. Don't use Jesus to fix your feelings. Hold fast to Christ and watch him remake your feelings from the inside out. And by the way, I told Josh I was just brimming this morning. I feel like a caged tiger up here. That test, does this help me hold fast to Christ, is also a really helpful question, back to point one, when you're wrestling with matters of Christian freedom. Okay? Sidebar. Don't ask, am I allowed to do this? That's a terrible question (laughs) on multiple levels. Ask yourself this. Will this decision or action help me, you know where I'm going, right, hold fast to Christ? Or will it lead me away from him? We, we ask the same question as pastors whenever we're evaluating a ministry idea in the church, okay? It's not, will it work? Is it popular? Is everybody else singing it? No. Will this song or opportunity or event help us hold fast to Christ? And compel people outside our body to join us in the same. Sound teaching, biblical wisdom. Here's the distinguishing mark. It helps people hold fast to the head. To Christ. False teaching abandons the source of true spiritual growth. It's a second red flag. Does it? Does what I'm hearing, does it help me hold fast to Christ? True source of spiritual growth. Here's the last red flag or thing way false teaching leads us away from Christ. Point number three. False teaching denies the reality of our death to sin. Verses 20 and 23. Denies the reality of our death to sin. I think here, friends, we really do confront one of the most insidious lies from the great enemy of our souls. He would convince you, Christian listen carefully, that you have yet to obtain something you already have. The pitch goes something like this. Do do you feel the darkness within you? Do do you sense the anger, the the rebellion, the the insatiable thirst for physical pleasure? Do, do Do you feel the gap? between who you know God wants you to be and, and who you are. Well then, here's what you must do. You must learn to discipline your body. You must learn to say no. You must keep the rules. You, you must train yourself to do the right thing, always. So if you're losing a battle with porn, Throw away your smartphone. If you're spending your way into piles of debt, cut up your credit cards. If you're binging to deal with stress, just stop buying ice cream. If you have a habit of laziness, well, read that guy's book and try scheduling your life in 30 minute increments. It's the spiritual disciplinarian. You heard him? The biblical moralist who reduces the Christian life to a a set of wrong behaviors to put off and right behaviors to put on. And frankly, it's exactly what many young people think Christianity is all about. You know? It's a list of rules. I'm on to you, mom and dad. It's a dumb list of rules that you say God wants me to keep so I can be the good person you want me to be. Look at verse 21. Sound familiar? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, don't watch that, drink that, smoke that, listen to that, and above all, don't have sex before marriage. Friends, that is not the heart of Christianity. It's not. If you thought it was, you don't know what Christianity is. Look at verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of, listen, no value. Not little value or periodic value. No value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What in the world is Paul saying? He's saying a list of rules may curtail your behavior, cage in the monster, but the rebellion in your heart will simply out itself in some other way. You ever notice that? The moment you put up a fence, our sinful desires just, oh, well, that's no problem. (laughs) Right? The moment you set a boundary, like that's effective. I can crack those passwords. Do, 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 do it. You know what I'm saying? Why why, Why don't rules work? Why doesn't parenting, squarely centered on behavior modification, glorify Jesus? It's because our spiritual problem goes deeper than our actions, friends back to the big storyline of the Bible, right? Sin isn't just something we do. It's who we are apart from God. It's your identity. It's your nature. Do, do you feel that, friend? We, we enter this world with a sinful nature, a heart that's, that's dead set against the authority of God. It's why parents don't have to teach their kids to do what's wrong, And listen, if you pride yourself, as I did for years as a young man, on being, unlike the rest of lesser mortals, all that rabble, a good person, know this, the fact that you think, as I did, that you can earn your way into God's good graces simply proves the depth of your spiritual darkness. You are blind to the reality of God's holiness, friend. You have yet to see the depth and contrast of your sinfulness, your wickedness. You can tell yourself you can be good enough. God says back to you, you cannot. Ever. Millions of Try and die trying. And they don't go to heaven. Why not? Because we need so much more than behavior modification. You need a heart transplant, friend. You're in bad shape. And it's people who genuinely love you who are willing to tell you that. Because God said at first, you need God who created you, who knows you in whose hand are all your days to remove your spiritually dead, cold heart that doesn't want anything to do with him and to give you a new spiritual nature that, that looks to Jesus to, to cleanse you from the inside out. You need something that you cannot do For yourself. But if you experience that miracle, if you cry out to the Lord to give you a new heart, if you if you turn from sin and trust and follow Jesus, what what does God say is true of you, Christian? He says you have died. You've died. Faith in Christ has united you to him such that his death becomes your death. The death of who you once were, your old self, your your old nature, the, the man or woman who was once enslaved to all manners of passions and pleasures, living in the kingdom of this world, subject to spiritual forces of evil. That man, that woman no longer exists. They died. In Christ, you're a new creation. You're no no longer trapped in in an endless hamster wheel of self-improvement and condemnation. Jesus has delivered you from bondage to sin through his death and resurrection. And he's now at work in your life by the power of the Spirit. Empowering you to, to become experientially what you already are positionally a citizen of the kingdom of God who obeys Jesus not to deliver yourself from sin but because Jesus has already delivered you from sin. That's the entire point of verse 20. Look there. If with Christ you died and praise God we do to the elemental spirits of this world, if the old you enslaved to sin and death no longer even exists, As as far as they're concerned, you're dead. Well, then why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Why why are you wandering back to your old master and the spiritual pride that acts as if following the right moral code, abstaining from perishable things like food and drink, could actually make you right with God? Why, Why are you doing that? Remember your union with Christ, Christian. Remember who you are in him. Who are you? I'm not talking, what are you doing? I'm talking about who you are. You are, listen, dead to the power of sin and death, okay? You are alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news of the gospel, that it's well with your soul, not because you do this or don't do that. It's well with your soul because of Jesus, So stop holding fast to your own morality. It's a lie. It's a scheme of the evil one. It's false teaching. Other saviors are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Only Jesus can make you exactly who God created you to be. In the wedding service from the sixteen sixty two Book of Common Prayer, the bride answers the following question. Will you have this man to be your wedded husband? To live together after God's ordinance in the holiest state of marriage? Will you obey him, serve him, love, honor, and keep him in sickness and in health? And forsaking All others. Keep yourself only unto Him so long as you both shall live. Friend, if you're a Christian, you are part of the bride of Christ, the body of the church. Jesus is your husband. He's he's the one to whom God the Father pledged you from eternity past, before you were even born or conscious of your own identity. God was. Pledged you to his son. Like a bride after her wedding day, faithfulness to him requires forsaking all others. All human precepts and teaching. Whether it's Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules, New Age Spirituality, the latest dieting fad, practicing mindfulness, cognitive behavioral therapy, they, they may contain aspects of biblical wisdom, but they are ultimately a mirage in the quest for what is truly wise they're not Christ. They're not the enduring wisdom of God. So don't set your hope in them, okay? Hold fast to Jesus because none who wait for him will ever be ashamed. Let's pray. Father, in some ways, this message is Not terribly hard to understand, but ever so hard to apply. Because we're bombarded. We are swimming in pretend saviors. False hopes, broken cisterns. Good things pretending to be the best thing. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We pray right now for the gift of conviction, the ability to perceive and know and feel places in our life where we have substituted faith in you for faith in someone or something else, maybe even starting with ourselves for places where we have said I'm allowed to do that so I will instead of humbly asking does this help me hold fast to Christ Lord we ask that in a world filled with lies you would guard us from both being gullible sheep and from being cynical sheep and we pray that instead you would make us humble humble Christ centered, word based, thoughtful, faithful sons and daughters who test everything not so we can pat ourselves on the back or decry the masses, but so that we wouldn't neglect such a great salvation. help, Lord. We can hear the bombardment. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the church that exhorts us, as long as it's called today, that none of us
0: may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin.
1: Do that now as we sing, I pray.